PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. Physical therapists diagnose and treat people of all ages with all types of health conditions to help keep them moving and functioning in daily life. Welcome to the CrickCast from Physical Therapy. Each month, PTJ Editor-in-Chief Dr. Rebecca Crick offers her take on the articles appearing in this month's PTJ. Here is Rebecca Crick. Hello, I'm here to talk to you about the March issue of Physical Therapy. Some of you may have heard that, you know, if March comes in like a lion, it will go out like a lamb. Well, March for me looks like it's going to come in with a terrible cold. So I apologize for my nasal voice today. I hope it doesn't take away from my enthusiasm for this really outstanding issue. I'm going to go through them in a linear fashion and give you the highlights from some of these papers. The first paper is entitled Effect of Motor Control Exercises versus Graded Activity in Patients with Chronic Nonspecific Low Back Pain. This is a randomized control trial by a group from Australia. This is an equivalency randomized control trial, meaning that the authors didn't expect that one type of intervention was going to be superior to the other type. The patients were at least three months post-low back pain, and if you look at the data, you see that they're on average about 100 months post. So we're really talking about chronic patients. This study is going to cause lots of controversy because the patients were not classified. So the patients were just randomly assigned to one of the two interventions. And in fact, there was no difference between the two groups. So either intervention can be viewed as an intervention for persons with chronic low back pain. I think there are a lot of things to discuss in this paper, and I encourage you to use it in a journal club or just to read it. The second paper is by Holdsworth et al., and they are from Scotland. And this is Defining, Agreeing on, and Testing an International Physical Therapy Core Dataset. This is really exciting. The group worked with seven different countries and tried to determine whether it was possible to agree on common variables that could be entered into a database and with the goal of ultimately being able to describe physical therapist practice across countries. So the study began in 2006 and there were actually data that were entered between 2008 and 2009 from 34 practices involving a little more than 3,000 patient episodes. So really what this paper is doing is encouraging us to think about entering our patient episodes into a database so that we can contribute to analysis that describes physical therapist practice. So please look at this one. It was really exciting. The third paper is about sensitivity to change and responsiveness of four balance measures. This is a secondary analysis of a study that was performed with community-dwelling elder adults. There was a 16-week exercise trial that was involved, and basically the authors looked at the balance measures to see whether the balance measures were responsive to change. And the balance measures that they used include the Berg Balance Scale, the Performance-Oriented Mobility Assessment Scale, which we call the POMA, the Total Scale, and then the POMA Balance Subscale, and the Dynamic Gait Index. So they looked at responsiveness and sensitivity to change. Basically, there were no floor effects noted. So that means that all patients could be scored on the bottom level. 
However, there were ceiling effects, meaning that there were some patients that were better than the tests were able to assess. The Berg balance scale came out the best performing, but still there were limitations. The authors conclude that there's a need to develop a more robust balance measure to look at community dwelling older adults. The next paper is a really fun paper by a group from the Netherlands. It's a small study. It looked at 24 community-dwelling adults with stroke, and these adults had used an ankle foot orthosis, a polypropylene ankle foot orthosis, on a regular basis. And the study was examining whether or not a functional electrical stimulation device would be useful. So there's not a control group. They're looking at the person's performance with and without their orthosis, and when they don't have the orthosis, they're wearing the functional electrical stimulation device. And then they tested the participants on a treadmill. They walked along the treadmill, and then objects were unexpectedly dropped on the treadmill, and they would see whether or not the persons could clear their limb in the presence of an object. I think it would have been a great experiment to participate in, and the results suggest that the FES was superior to the ankle-foot orthosis in being able to avoid obstacles. So again, I encourage you to look at this paper. I think it's a small sample, but it's a really interesting hypothesis. The next paper is by Matsuda et al., and I'm going to say that the et al. includes Anne Shumway Cook as a second author. This is a paper that does an excellent job describing falls in persons with multiple sclerosis. So it's a cross-sectional descriptive study, 575 community-dwelling persons with multiple sclerosis. When you go to the literature and try to understand the epidemiology of multiple sclerosis, there's really not a lot that's available. This study really provides a wonderful background for studies that can then go in and provide intervention for the falls. So in case you didn't know, it is very common for persons with multiple sclerosis to fall. And so I really encourage you to read this paper. It, it was very thoughtfully written and I think provides good background information. The next study is by Roach et al. Kathy Roach is at University of Miami in Miami, Florida. This is a validation of the revised physical therapist clinical performance instrument. Many of us know this dearly as the CPI the instrument that is used to assess the students when they're on their clinical education experiences. I think this will make a lot of people pleased. This study provides evidence to support that it is a valid measure of physical therapist student clinical performance. So for our clinical instructors and students, this will be good news for you to know that the CPI is indeed a valid instrument. The next study is by Prado Medeiros et al., and this is a group from Sao Paulo, Brazil. This is a paper that looks at the amount of atrophy that's present in the flexors and extensors of the knee in persons with chronic stroke. Before I talk about this paper, I would really encourage those of you who are looking for journal clubs to use this paper and the previous paper that I talked to you about related to FES. I think they really complement each other very nicely. This particular study is a very small study. It's only 13 persons with chronic stroke and 13 healthy individuals as a control group. And basically what they're doing is they looked at volume as well as maximal concentric and eccentric force that was produced by the muscles around the knee. 
what they found was that the quadricep, indeed, on the involved side, has smaller volume and is weaker. The hamstrings have a volume that's equivalent to the non-involved limb, but also demonstrate torquous reduced compared to the control group. So I think that one comes away from this study recognizing that in persons with chronic stroke, there's a residual muscle weakness that physical therapists can address. The next paper is another paper that's submitted by authors from Brazil. This is Valentini and Sacani, and it's a validation of the Alberta Infant Motor Scale that now can be used with children from Brazil. So for those of you who need it, I think you'll find this a valuable paper. The next study is a more basic study. It looks at healthy subjects and the value of contrast baths. If you remember, it's putting the limb in warm water followed by cold water. And they said, what should the ratio be? What's the optimal ratio? And what effect does the contrast bath have on blood velocity? So they used a Doppler ultrasound to look at the velocity of blood in the brachial artery and they immerse the hand in two different ratios of hot and cold water. And what I found really interesting, even though it's only healthy subjects, is that they have an increase in velocity after the first immersion in the warm bath, and then when you go into the cold bath, as you would expect, the blood velocity decreases. And in the second exposure, depending on its length, you may not see the increase in blood velocity that you saw the first time. They certainly encourage someone to pick the study up and do it in patients who have inflammation, for example. The next paper is a perspective by Rucker et al. from University of Kansas in Kansas City. This is a really thoughtful paper on the role that diabetes plays in cognitive function. The authors look at executive function and whether executive function is affected in persons diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And at the end, it gives us the suggestion of perhaps considering using dual task paradigms when doing an examination of a person with diabetes. So please look at this paper. The final paper is going to be shared in a podcast in March. So I'm just going to mention its title and tell you that I think you should absolutely listen to the podcast. It's about telehealth as a means of physical therapists delivering health care. The authors are Alan Lee and Nancy Harada. So please listen to the podcast related to telehealth and physical therapy. Thank you. This has been a really good issue. I hope you find something to please you. I certainly did. Have a great month. Thanks for listening. If you have a question for Dr. Craig, email ptj at apta.org and be sure to include Craigcast in the subject line. This is a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.